Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Luke 15 is the story, or excuse me, there's three parables that Jesus tells, and we're going to look just at the first one, the parable of the lost sheep. What we've been looking at for the past couple of weeks, and then what we look back way back in January, God is, a, is our good shepherd. We said Jesus is our good shepherd, and we want to understand what that means, and most of us don't understand sheep and shepherds, and so we've been using this book as a companion, a devotional companion called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. We looked at that particularly in, in January, but we don't just want to understand, we want to grow in confidence. That's what Psalm 23 is. It's called a confidence psalm. David can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you remember, he, he experienced a lot of difficulty in his life, and he's able to say that. So we want to be able to say the same thing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, even when things don't go the way that I want them to. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, even when I don't get everything that I want. We want to have confidence that because Jesus cares for us, and because he's skillful in the way he manages our lives, that even when things go a little sideways, we don't lack anything. So again, we, we want to understand, and from that understanding, we want to grow in confidence. That was kind of our, our goal, for lack of a better word, for this year. So again, we looked at Psalm 23 in January. We looked at John 10 the past two weeks. Today, we're going to look at Luke 15. Luke 15, against three parables, and ideally, you read them all together. They complement one another. They all are teaching the same truth. We don't have time to do that, so we're just going to look at the first one, but I would encourage you, go back and read all three because, again, they, they fill in the blanks with one another. They complement one another. In order to understand a parable, remember a parable is a story that Jesus makes up, but it's taken from real life. So it's the details are something that the people would understand. It would be sticky. They would remember it. But there's a spiritual truth that Jesus is trying to communicate through this story. For us to understand the spiritual truth, we need to know a little bit of the background. So Jesus is, he's coming to disagreement with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and your Bible may say the scribes or the experts in the law. That was like a kind of like a religious lawyer. They knew the law really well, and they made rulings on what was and was not out of bounds. This is okay, and this is not okay. So those guys and the Pharisees were tight. They ran together. The Pharisees are hyper-focused on the law with, with good intentions. And their understanding, God has punished their nation in the past because they've not been obedient to law, and they don't want to do that again. So they're saying, we're going to follow the law, and just to make sure we don't break it, they called it building a fence around the law. Here are all of the things that we're not going to do, because if we don't do those things, then there's no way we're going to do these things. If we don't break this rule out here, then there's no way we can break these rules in here. And by the time of Jesus, that had become incredibly cumbersome. It was very difficult for a regular person to know all of those rules, much less to follow them. And so over time, what happened is you kind of created these two camps. You had the righteous, and then you had the sinners. And the sinners are everybody that aren't keeping the law, either because they don't want to or because they can't. And those sinners were considered unclean. And that doesn't mean dirty. It means impure, unholy. And you could be unholy because you broke the law or you could be unholy because you have leprosy. You didn't do anything. It's just a condition that you have. But either way, you were considered unclean. 
And what the Pharisees have begun to do over time, and it was very pronounced in Jesus's day, is they would keep the unclean at a distance. That uncleanness was contagious. So if I'm unclean and I sit in this chair, and then if you sit in that chair, well, now you're unclean. It's kind of like elementary school cooties. Those things, they, they, that's what they do. They, you, you catch them, you catch impurity. And so the only way to not catch it is to stay far away from anybody who's got it. And so Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus eats with people who are sinners, which eating together is not a big deal to us. It was a sign of friendship and acceptance. Jesus goes into the house of people with sinners. If you go into the house of someone unclean, there's no way to not get unclean. You're gonna touch something in there. Jesus accepted people who were unclean. And so that brings him into disagreement with the religious leaders. Luke 15 is three parables where Jesus is saying, this is how God actually views sinners. Y'all have your understanding. Here's how God sees them. It's three parables that teach the same thing. We're just gonna look at the first one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, your Bible may say the scribes, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. So the parable itself is very straightforward. This is stuff that we've been looking at probably set in the summertime where shepherds would spend months out in the open country. And at night they would gather their sheep into those sheep folds that we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. So the shepherd's about to do that. And so he's counting his sheep before he goes back to the sheep fold. He owns a hundred, he counts 99. So there's one that's missing and he immediately sets out to search for this sheep. And as we've said before, the shepherd is responsible for the welfare of the sheep. If a sheep is doing well, if it's healthy, it's because he has a shepherd who cares and a shepherd who's skilled, who knows what he's doing. That word lost doesn't just mean what you're thinking of, like I lost my keys. It means to be ruined or to be destroyed. So this sheep is in a lot of danger. Sheep don't have any way of protecting themselves. All they can do is run and they're not very fast. So they 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 don't have a shot if they're separated from their shepherd and they're out in the open country, out in the wilderness. There's wolves, there's bears, there's lions. Sheep can't do anything against any of those predators. So it's a, it's a dire situation and the shepherd immediately goes after this sheep. We don't know how long it takes him to find the sheep, but it's a decent amount of time because when he gets to the sheep, the sheep is too weak to walk. And so he puts the sheep on his shoulders, an adult sheep will weigh about 200 pounds, so that's not nothing. He puts the sheep on his shoulders and he carries it back to safety. When he gets to safety, he has a celebration with his friends and his neighbors. And then Jesus gives the, the, the spiritual truth. Here's why I'm telling you this parable, because I want you to know the same way that shepherd was overjoyed when he found his lost sheep, that's how God feels when one sinner repents. That's how he That's how he views, that's his posture towards the sinner. He has greater delight in one of them repenting than over the 99 who righteous who don't need to repent. There's two groups of people that Jesus is talking to. The disciples are there, they're in the background. 
tax collectors and sinners on one hand, Pharisees and experts in the law on the other. If you're a Pharisee or a, or a scribe, an expert in the law, and you hear that parable, Jesus's hope is that you'll say, I'm not doing that. That doesn't describe me. And that you'll repent. We've said before the past couple of weeks, Exodus, excuse me, Ezekiel 34 is the Old Testament background for all of the New Testament teachings about sheep and shepherds. In Ezekiel 34, God is condemning the leaders of Israel, the shepherds, for the way they're treating the people of Israel, the flock. And you can see there behind me how prominent the idea of seeking the lost is. The Pharisees, some of them would have the whole Old Testament memorized, if you can believe that. They were experts. They knew this passage. But for whatever reason, they weren't connecting the, the dots. They weren't connecting what God says in Ezekiel 34 with the way they were treating the people they saw as unclean. In Ezekiel 34, God rejects the leaders of his people because they're not seeking the lost. And he finally says, I'm just gonna do it myself. I'm gonna go after them. Jesus's hope is that the Pharisees who see themselves as leaders of God's people, that they'll realize, well, if we're leaders of God's people, then we should see God's people the way that God does that they'll recognize their error and that they'll repent and align themselves with the way God views the lost. That, that's the hope from Luke 15 for those religious leaders. In the mind of the religious leader, someone who's a sinner is unclean and therefore to be avoided. And what Jesus is teaching is no, a sinner is someone who's lost and they need to be rescued. And that is not the same thing at all. Someone who's unclean to be avoided is not the same as someone who's lost, who needs to be found or needs to be rescued. And Jesus is hoping the religious leaders will get that. We, many of them don't. Tax collectors and sinners, when they hear this, they're blown away. This is great news for them. They've never heard anything like this. They've spent their whole life either because of the sinful choices they've made or because of life circumstances that have made them unclean. They've spent their whole life ostracized, isolated from the people of God. They can't go to the temple, so that means they can't worship. When, when they come around, everybody else leaves because nobody wants to catch what they have. They're considered unclean, condemned by God, unseen, cut off. And Jesus, this parable, he's saying, not, nope, that's not the way God sees you. He notices, the shepherd counts, 99, one's missing, he knows that. For these guys, they, they never would see themselves as noticed or seen by God. They're overlooked by every religious leader, ignored or looked down upon to, to think that God notices them and doesn't just write them off. Well, 1% loss, that's acceptable. He goes after the one. He leaves the 99 righteous or the 99 good or the 99 holy or the 99 clean, however you wanna see that, to pursue them. Never would they think that ever, ever, that God would leave the righteous and the clean to come after them, the unrighteous and the unclean, mind-blowing for them, that he would rescue them and that he would rescue them joyfully. Three times you see a joy word in this parable. It's with great delight that the shepherd hoists his 200-pound sheep onto his shoulders and walks miles back to the sheepfold. He loves doing it. He takes great delight in that. This is, not a God, this is not a picture of God who's exasperated 
at a lost sheep or disappointed or angry or waiting to punish or I told you so or why did you? No, he rejoices that the sheep has been found. Hebrews 12, 2, we can look at this shepherd in Luke 15 through the lens of Jesus for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus rescue or the shepherd rescuing the sheep, that's a picture of what Jesus does for us. He does for us the thing that we can't do for ourselves. We can't walk home. And he comes and he rescues us. He puts us on his back and he brings us back to the father. And again, that's, that's not nothing. We can't do that on our own. And he does that for us and he does it joyfully. And, and we need to hear that. I'm 48, I became a Christian when I was 12. Three-fourths of my life I've been a Christian. I can lose sight of the joy of salvation, and you may can as well for some of you who've been following Jesus for a long time. We can lose the the reality of the, the rejoicing when one who is lost is found. For the tax collectors and the sinners, they're hearing this. It's blowing them away. Now, Jesus does say, In verse seven, when he's explaining the parable, he says, there's rejoicing in heaven over one righteous person who, or excuse me, one sinner who repents. So sheep don't sin. And so sheep don't need to repent. You don't see repentance in the parable of the sheep. But Jesus says that over one sinner who who repents. If you read the third parable, it's a prodigal son or the lost son. You know that story. There's a, a boy who sins greatly against his father. He says to his father, I want my inheritance, which is basically saying, I wish you were dead. I just want my money. And he takes it and he moves away and he wastes it, squanders it in wild living, the Bible says. And at some point, he comes to his sentence. He comes to his senses, and that's a repentance word. He comes to his senses. He said, be better to live as a slave in my father's house than to live out here on my own. And he goes home. And he goes home and he has this whole speech prepared to basically throw himself at his father's mercy and say, will you take me back? And you know how the story ends. The father runs out and meets him and brings him back into the family and throws a huge celebration because he's come home. That's a picture of repentance over one righteous, or excuse me, one sinner who, who repents. So if you're a tax collector or a sinner, you see God sees me, he notices me, he pursues me, he rescues me, he, he, he brings me home and all he's looking for from me is to come to my senses and to realize I need saving, that I'm in, a, I'm in a bad spot. I'm on the road to ruin and destruction. He's not looking to, he's not exasperated by me, he's not angry at me, he's not disappointed. He is joyfully pursuing me and he is earnestly desiring to reconcile me to himself. Before we look at a couple of ways that this might land on us, the 99, some people are drawn to that. If you've been a Christian for a while, that might be who you identify most with in the story. And you're going, hey, what about those guys? Jesus leaves them in the open country. Is that okay? Are they safe? Why would he do that? Does he love this lost sheep more than he loves these 99 sheep? I would say one, in a parable, not every detail matters. Some are just, it's just color. you're telling a story. I would say in this case, the 99 in the parable, it's really, it's just, it's a contrast. It's to demonstrate how urgently the shepherd seeks the one. This This is a priority for him that he's willing to leave the 99 in order to go after the one. It shows the value that he places on the one who's lost. When he's explaining the parable in verse seven, he calls the 99 the righteous. 
And so some people would say, well, he's being ironic because no one is righteous. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all need to repent. So there's no such thing as 99 people who don't need to repent. So he's using that, that term ironically to try to provoke the Pharisees to recognize, hey, you're, you're just as lost as these guys that you're looking down on and you need to repent as well. That's not necessarily the way I would see it. I do think that's what he's doing in the parable of the lost son. The older brother, 100% is a religious leader, totally. It's very clear that's what he's doing there. I think in this parable though, looking at it straightforwardly, the 99 are those who don't need to repent in the sense of they've already been found. They're no longer lost, and that's most of you in this room. You made a decision at some point in your life to repent of your sins and to put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you're safe. You're not lost anymore. There's ongoing repentance, yes, as we're growing more into the image of Jesus, but that initial turning towards God, many of you, you, you've got a story. It's called your testimony. You can look back and say, it was, I did that then. So you're part of that 99. And so for some of us, we're going, well, what about us? Like to get his attention, do I need to rebel? Or, and it's not that at all. Uh, Many of you are parents and your parents have more than one kid. So some of you have lost a kid for brief periods of time. And that's terrifying if that's happened to you. And in that moment where you're, you're, you're disconnected from your kids, you don't know where they are. You don't not love the ones who are safe any less, but all of your attention and your focus is on the one who's in trouble. If they're separated from you, they're in danger. And so that's where your attention and your focus, it doesn't at all negate the love and the joy that you take in the ones who are safe. But in that moment, if we could say it this way, that one who's lost, that, that, they jump up the priority list. And once you find them and that you have that sense of peace and gratitude and relief and joy, again, it's not that you have more joy in them than the ones who are safe, but in that moment, because they were at risk, there's a greater level there in terms of your rejoicing in the moment. Does that make sense? There's 8 billion people in the world, statistically 2.4 to 2.6 billion are Christians. That's not looking at people's hearts, that's just checking the box on the census. Two thirds of the people in the world are not following Jesus. They're in, they're lost. They're in grave danger. They're sheep and they are not connected to their shepherd. We read in 1 Peter, the enemy is a, he's a lion and he's prowling around. Who wins between a lion and a sheep every single time? They're in danger. They need their shepherd. And it's not that God doesn't love and value those who've already repented, those who are his adopted sons and daughters, but we're, we're not the ones who are in that level of danger any longer. And his eyes are out there and he's pursuing those who are lost because they're the ones, again, who are at risk right now. And, and so for those of us who maybe can tend to be a bit judgmental, maybe we can tend to be a bit self-righteous, maybe a bit pharisaical, this this parable, I hope it, it convicts us. If we tend to look down our nose at people who we would say are unclean, they're sinners, they're lost, to recognize th this is how God feels about them. And if we're his children, in some ways we could say we're his under shepherds, that's a biblical understanding. 
He's the chief shepherd, and many of us in some way are under shepherds. He's given us some people to take care of. We want to have the same posture, attitude, heart towards those who are lost as, as him, which is not one of exasperation. It's certainly not one of ignoring or throwing rocks and judging self-righteously. It's noticing and pursuing loving, trying to connect them to the one who can save them because they're in danger. They're not unclean people to be avoided. They're lost and they need to be rescued. They need to be found. Some of you, maybe it's probably just a small handful. There may be a couple of ones in this room. You're lost. You're disconnected from Jesus. And my hope and our hope for you this morning is that you would you would acknowledge, you would come to your senses, and I mean that in the kindest way possible. You would come to your senses and recognize I'm separated from the one who can protect me. I'm separated from the one who can provide for me. I've tried to do it all on my own and it's not working so well. And I need a savior. All you have to do is acknowledge that. I'm tired of doing this by myself. Jesus, would you rescue me? He always answers that prayer. And I want you to know that he doesn't look at you with disdain. He doesn't look at you with disappointment. He doesn't look at you with exasperation. He is joyfully, joyfully coming after you in the best sense of that word coming after. He's noticed, he's seen, he loves, and he's pursuing. Romans 5, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. You don't have to wonder how he feels about you. John three sixteen, most well-known verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He's committed to your well-being and to your welfare. If you repent, acknowledge, come to your senses, acknowledge, I'm tired of doing this on my own, then he'll rescue you right now. It's that simple. You can, you can do that in your heart right now. For the... Matthew's version of this story, the sheep are not called lost, they're called wandering. And it's not the same word. To, in the New Testament, that word wandering, when it's applied to Christians, and that's who it's used of in Matthew, it means people who are going astray from following Jesus. They've begun to follow Jesus, and now they're going astray, like the, those of you with the Baptist background, backslidden, that's, that's the phrase. And you can wander away, you can go astray or you can be led astray. And this may be for those of us who are in the 99, as much as we need to be conscious of the fact that God loves the one and pursues the one and we were all the one at one point. And we wanna have that tender heart towards those who are lost. We also wanna recognize we, we can be prone to wander. That's a song that we sing sometimes. Prone to wander, Lord, I, I feel that. And sometimes it's our own doing, it's our flesh, our sin nature causes us to go astray from Jesus. Sometimes it's very intentional. We make choices that we know are sinful and we just decide I'm doing it anyway. And we run through the stop signs and the red lights and the roadblocks. And that's no good. But we do that. If that's you, I would say, come to your senses this morning. Jesus pursues the wandering sheep, even those that are, they're running away intentionally and deliberately. 
He's not done with you. He is pursuing you. For most of us, the way that wandering looks like, it's much less deliberate. It's much less dramatic. It's much less decisive. It's, it's, we get distracted by something and we just take our eyes off of him. Sometimes we're distracted by the fires that we're trying to put out. There's a crisis in our life and it takes a lot of our focus and our attention. And we wind up not putting that kind of through, looking at that crisis through the lens of Jesus. We're just focused on it. Sometimes and oftentimes it's a good thing. It's a new relationship. It's a new baby. It's a new job, new opportunity. There's something new and it takes our focus and it takes our attention. Again, rather than looking at that new thing through the lens of Jesus, we're just looking at it and he's kind of over here. And it's three months or six months or a year and we realize I've, I've wandered. I'm disconnected from him. For some of us, it's we just get bored. It's apathy. We get tired of the, the long-term relational process with Jesus, and so that can cause us to kind of look around for something else that's more exciting. But again, I think for most of us, it's the distraction piece is what gets us. Most of us live full and busy lives, and it can be easy to, be, to get consumed by that. Sometimes we're led astray, for sure. That's the work of the devil. He's a master at lying. He's the father of lies. He's really good at masquerading as an angel of light. It's not a pitchfork and a pointy tail. He, he looks a whole lot like the real thing. And for many of us, we don't know the real thing, maybe quite as intimately as maybe we should. And so we're, we're, we're susceptible to deception. And so I would encourage you, that's nothing to scare you. I think it's a growth point for us. Many of you are reading through the Bible this year. We've got six months left in the year, and I would encourage you just, as you read, just pray this prayer before you do. Maybe not every day, but at least a few of them. Just begin to pray this. Holy Spirit, would you show me what truth in this passage that I'm about to read? Am I not believing? Am I not living out? And the living out is really important. Jesus says in the Great Commission, don't just teach them everything I've commanded you, but teach them to obey. The wise person who builds their house on the rock is not the person who knows the truth, it's the person who does the truth. It's the person who listens to these words, Jesus says, and puts them into practice. Knowing and not doing, James says, is like looking at yourself in a mirror and then walking away and forgetting what you saw. There's that, that the obedience component, the walking out component is really important. There is no final exam. You're not getting a written exam. Do you, know all of the, do you know the truth about these things? Your life, that's it. That's it. Have, have we lived out the things that God has revealed about himself to us? And so I, again, I would encourage you for all of us, regardless of how long you've been walking with the Lord, as you're reading the Bible, the point, again, it's not just to know things, but it's to live those things. Holy Spirit, would you show me what truth am I reading today that I, I don't believe and that I'm not living out? And just, he's not gonna overwhelm you. Some days there won't be anything. But what, what you're doing there is you're intentionally putting your life kind of under the microscope. You're saying, light of truth, shine on my life. I don't wanna be deceived. I'm acknowledging that I, I can be deceived. I'm not an expert in truth and truth 
in the Bible is a person, it's Jesus. I don't know everything there is to know. And even if I did know everything there is to know, I don't follow him perfectly. And so I need, I'm asking you to show me that. And he will. And as the weeks and months and years go by, you'll find yourself more easily discerning the lies in the, of the enemy. And you'll find yourself more quickly recognizing those things for what they are, counterfeits, things that look really good, but they're not ultimately true. Amen. All right, here's how we're gonna close. Bo's gonna come back and lead us in a little worship. And two things, y'all can close your eyes. This will be a rambly prayer, but you're used to those. So here's, um, here's what I'd love you to be praying about. So some of you came in with a need and I would encourage you identify that. If you came in and there was something weighing on your heart and your mind, would you let us pray with you about that? There's a, a great story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke of four friends bringing their paralyzed friend to Jesus. They cut a hole in the roof of somebody's house and they drop him right in front of Jesus. He can't get there on his own and so they get him there. That's what these prayer teams are. They can't fix anything and they don't claim to do that. But what they're gonna do is they're gonna, through prayer, get you in front of Jesus. And you can say, well, I can get in front of my own. And you absolutely can. But why not take advantage of your friends? So if you had a need when you came in, I would encourage you, don't leave without letting somebody pray about that. Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind anything we need to bring to you today? If you're the one, if you're, if, you're, if you're that lost sheep, can you, would you hear the voice of your Father in heaven? I love you and I want you. I've sent my good shepherd, Jesus, after you. In the most kind way, would you come to your senses this morning and acknowledge your need? And he'll rescue you. He'll put you on his back. Jesus will. And he'll bring you back to the Father. If that's you, we would love to pray with you. For the 99, are, are you wandering today? Have you either gone astray in your flesh or have you been led astray by the enemy? Would you be willing to repent, to come to your senses, to acknowledge he's pursuing you? This, again, it's, it's the same story. It's a different word. Jesus is teaching the same thing. There's, he's pursuing you with joy and with delight, not with disappointment and exasperation. Would you acknowledge that you've wandered and he'll rescue you? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be working in each one of our hearts, bringing to the surface the thing that we most need to address this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 